welcome to Fit Story TV, the only platform that is focused on storytelling for fitness experts. Our mission with this podcast is to empower you to harness your vulnerability and lead with your story. If this is your first time listening, then make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss out when we drop more fire. Whew! Go. You ready to get it on? Bro. I'm always ready, man. Mm. That's the thing that when you're gullet. documenting instead of creating. It's just, you're good to go. Absolutely. Fit Story fam, what is going on? Matthew Burbridge is back in the motherfucking house. And today I've got an epic guest on the show. Uh, and I'm sure this is going to be just more than a story. Uh, although that is what we're going to be sharing. Uh, um, uh, is a vulnerable story, of course, and getting to the nitty gritty of what got this guy to where he is. Uh, but you're also going to get a wealth of knowledge. And I know that because unlike some people who become fitness business coaches, uh, you've actually done what it is that you teach. Yeah. <laughs> right. So there's over 16 years of experience in this, maybe even longer, 17 years now, is it 17, 18 coming? Uh, 2003. So it'll be, it'll be 18 years by the end of the year. Bam. You see, now there's a lot of room for mistakes in that, in that time. Yeah, been a lot of mistakes. <laughs> a lot of of failures in there too yeah Uh, and that's it contrary to what people have been led to believe which is that mistakes mean failing actually it's the opposite mistakes ultimately create more success and um in in this episode we're going to dive deep into your fit story and we're going to talk about some of those things we're going to talk about some of the failures and some of the setbacks and adversities that you faced and how you found some resolutions to those but before we do i just want to get into a little intro now the reason I want to do this is I, I, I would let you do it, but I really want to give people an insight, people that are listening an insight. And I really want them to know and understand that what you have today is a byproduct of who you were willing to let go of being yesterday, the yeah. day before, the week before, a month before, a year before, 16 years before. Like your story is going to provide a roadmap for these people to follow and truly get what they want. So um, first and foremost, Chris Mooney, how are you doing, brother? I'm going well, brother. And if this is a roadmap, I hope they've got off-road vehicles, bro, because it's, <laughs> it's not always a smooth ride, that's for sure. Um, Never is. Yeah, I'm, I'm going well, man. I'm, I'm going really well. And I really appreciate you having me on the show, bro. It's uh, It's been good to connect. It's been a, a whirlwind uh connection in terms of we just sort of connected only a week or so ago now uh through through a comment on facebook um Mm, that's uh, right i remember a particular person asked about how to train their client that wasn't achieving a certain result and and everyone's true to form is thrown in do this and you're not doing that and you're not doing this enough i just went well bro it depends like instead (laughs) of instead of trying to fix him why don't you dig into some education resources here? Here's a couple I recommend. Mm. Go follow this guy, go listen to this podcast, go get this guy's information and, and and learn that and come back. And you'll probably have the answers there from someone, from people way smarter than I am and way smarter than 99.9% of the people commenting on his post. Uh, and that's my tone. That's what I try to do is if I've got the answer, great. If I don't, I'm not going to, I'm not going to bluff it. I'm not going to try and make it up or fake it. I'm just going to say, look, yeah. go here. And that's, that's really, of- yeah, that's really why we resonated because um, I remember as an FEO, uh, John Petroholius's community, he's been on yeah. this show as well. Um, and yeah, the question was about someone building their chest or whatever it was and they're struggling. 
Uh, the reason I read that is because that's something that I struggled with when I was yeah. bodybuilding. I really struggled to bring my chest up. And although I did have uh, uh, some knowledge in that area, you know, I resonated with what you said, like, bro, you stop trying to just fix this problem because you don't understand the problem. And for that's you right. to really understand the problem, you need to figure out like, why do you not understand it? And listen to what Chris has got to say here, follow these links, like go check out this stuff because me and you were, were fortunate enough to have people that helped us fast track. You know, I yeah. had a great fucking mentor. Um, I had an incredible bodybuilding coach, 14 times national champion, natural bodybuilding coach, Mark Raymond Manklo. And he taught me what it would take others 10 years to learn in the span of a year, like literally just fast tracked the results. So uh, yeah, good position there, push the floor down in a squat instead of trying to lift up, you know, little things. There's just little things that you're not getting out of a textbook. You can mm. now, it's 2021. Those guys that you and I learned from and people just like them understood and they didn't spot a gap in the market to, to, to sell some more shit. They realized that, hey, no one's getting this information. Podcast, YouTube series. Yeah, it's out there now. So you've got to go 100%. searching for it and, and asking your peers. Sometimes it's a good thing, a think tank, get, get ideas flowing. But sometimes what frustrates me in groups like that, and it's a good group, it provides a lot of value. But something that frustrates me in a lot of these groups is these fuckers are too lazy to just fucking Google first, I would much rather someone come and go, hey man, I spent the whole day researching this, this and this. I found these three resources out of all of them that seem to resonate the best with me. Here's the information I come up with. Out of these two things, what's your professional opinion? Do you think this way or this way? Versus, hey man, I've got a question. Mm, mm, 100%. I mean, yeah, hundred percent, bro. I even checked out a couple of those links you sent. I <laughs> say so I'm a fucking dig into that shit myself. Um, well, it's, so, it's gold. It's gold. Yeah. I don't share yeah, links to bullshit. That's for sure. <laughs> so tell the people listening, uh, just real brief, because we don't want to dive into your story just yet. We want to pump the sure. brakes because that is definitely going to come. But tell people kind of who, like, what you do. Uh, you know, personal trainer, mentor, that kind of thing. Just dive into a little bit of that. Cool. All right. So I wear three major hats okay one is as a as a husband and a father beautiful wife and two daughters next hat is uh i'm a personal trainer manager mentor over a group here in australia called emf stands for elite military fitness uh for those who love to look at nice gyms go emfpc.com.au and let the pictures and the videos do the talking they're immaculate amazing facilities i'm very fortunate to be the the PT manager across the group for all of our personal trainers. So in that role there, everything from uh, bringing new personal trainers on board, upskilling, onboarding, mentoring, uh, and then working with the guys and girls that are, that are much more experienced and have, have a really good business that I'm there as their soundboard or just to basically give them a high five on the way past, whatever they need from me. Mm -hmm. um, we're changing the game out here and, it's, and it starts with how we do things differently to your normal uh, inverted air commas is the um, commercial gym. Everyone out in Australia knows commercial gyms are, they, they rape and pillage from personal trainers and from members and from all the rest of it. We're trying to do it a little bit differently. So that's the second hat. And the third hat is the one that I've, um, it's something that I unlocked within myself uh, probably 2016, I'm going to say, was when I decided to, to make the call and make a move. And that is I started my own business, uh, which is called 51 Fit, stands for Fitness Industry Training. 
um the 51 will come back to i'm sure it's going to pop up in the story and that's where i mentor and coach personal trainers that aren't part of the emf group and i provide education pathways for people who want to become a personal trainer so in australia that's the cert three cert four in fitness and then on to diploma should you want to do that uh i've partnered with an education provider or rto we call them out here and we help people get through the cert three cert four process just with as you guys will get to know me through this call a different outlook i think it's a very real world understanding of how to be a personal trainer especially mm. if you go in commercial gym setting so when these guys when my students finish with their cert three and four whether they come to an emf or they go to their own studio that's that's not i have no weighted interest either way i just want them to come out of it being an amazing personal trainer with their head screwed on right who understands that your cert three and your cert four are literally opportunities to step onto the field and then Absolutely. you have to go prove yourself rather than yeah. entering the field like an all-star. Like, you know, you've got, you've got to do the work still. So in yeah. a nutshell, dude, there's a, there's my three hats. That's my three titles. Um, super proud and, and, and uh, enjoy every one of them started off with number one being, being husband and father. That's probably not probably mm. that is the pinnacle as I'm sure. I was going to say it's being a husband. I mean, I'm not yet. Uh, my partner definitely does want to get hitched, but you know, we just had the twins. So um I'm a daddy again, but uh, that takes a ton of work in and of itself. It's, it's, it's probably why a lot of people that do get go into entrepreneurship, then have kids probably quit because it is, it's a fucking job. Like raising kids, it, you have to be a leader. You have to level yourself up. You, you, you like, that's the only way I could put it. Like I've said this before on podcasts that, People focus a lot on business uh, growth and personal development growth, um, but not many people really focus and double down on parent growth, like how to be a yeah, better a leader for the kids. Problem. Yeah, because Look by at the doing that, it's, right and it's, yeah. it's a massive reflection of the lack of parenting skills. I mean, I'm 42 this year. I've, I have a 20 year old daughter. Um, so I've been a dad a long time. Uh, wow. And we've got a 20 year old as well. So. You know, most of my uh, entrepreneurial journey, my wins, my losses, my trials, all the rest of it was done as a, as a father, as a young father, while half of my mates were scraping themselves off a, a park bench on a Sunday morning. <laughs> so, um, usually I was the one kicking them off there because I was bouncing at the time. But, you know, it's another part of the story. Oh, brilliant. So it's been well, good. It's been a, it's definitely part of who I am and, and how I think. And, and uh, I know a lot of the PTs I work with do pick up on the dadisms uh, with mm. the way that I speak and the way that I highlight certain things and um, things I look out for uh, versus just a, a sales coach or a, or a marketing coach or a mm. whatever coach. Like my thing is, Hey, like I do like to take my team under my wing at the same time, give them their own wings. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I feel you, man. Uh, honestly, parenthood is, one of the greatest gifts we could have asked for as well, man. Um, and even in this world right now, even in this crazy climate, it's like when my twins were born uh, and I remember standing in the, in the labor ward, my partner was pushing and pushing and, and I saw Remy's head come out and, and I had, and I wasn't crying up to that point. I was like, come on, baby, you could do this. You could do this. Keep breathing, keep breathing. And uh, Remy's head comes out and I just, it's like I, I see her face and all of the, the room just fades behind me, just falls down and all of the craziness, the COVID, the bullshit, the, the, the negativity, the hate, 
the, the dejection, the dismay, the, all of that stuff just, just dissolved around me, man. And I just felt like I had energy just shooting through my fingers and through my head and through my toes. And I was like, oh, my God, this is fucking incredible, man. Uh, and obviously, Edie Rose was the same when she popped out seven minutes later. And it's just and I felt really the same way ever since uh, their birth about eight, nine days ago. And and it is hard i mean in this in this climate it's hard to build a business it's well i don't want to say that because that's weak ass language but generalize generalizing it is hard when the climate changes you have to know how to navigate it's okay it's okay to say things are hard because shit is hard the difference is this the process is still simple mm. the process to succeed in anything in life business life health it doesn't the process is simple the effort is not you know, mm. so I just tell people process is simple. It's not easy. The process is simple, but it's hard. It can be simple and, and be hard at the same time. And it's not, it's not a problem to say something's hard. I mean, uh, you know, as, as guys, as men, it's always a case of, you know, oh, this is meant to be easy and you're supposed to show up and you're supposed to do that. And, and I get it, man. Like I said, I, I grew up out here in Australia with a, with a relatively strict military dad, you know, Vietnam veteran, all the rest of it. And we grew up in regional towns where, you know, men are this and men are that and, to a large part of that's still a massive part of me but it's still okay mm. to go fuck that was hard that was a challenge yeah yeah you know? and it is i mean coming from an internal dialogue point of view you caught me out there because uh you know it's like a tough skin on me you know because i've been programmed by my mentors to to get rid of that weak language so if you say it's hard it's going to be hard um so i guess reframing how i said that would be it, it it's hard out there and it is hard but you've got to know how to navigate once you're aware that it's difficult like what are you going to do yeah. like how are you going to get around that you know that's right um so bro i can't wait to dive into this let's get into the bones the let's yeah. remove all the meat and get into and you got a lot of it so uh you know if you guys could see on the camera right now chris is a chris is a big <laughs> dude like he's uh he's built um, so let's go way back. Let's let's go back to a time in your life when things were way more simple, right? Uh, let's go all the way back. Where did you grow up? What was the town you grew up in? I know you just mentioned a little bit there. What, who are the people around you? What are the resources you had access to? Like, what were the early days, man? Let's dive into that first. All right, man. Well, here's, um, here's something that makes my situation a little unique is that uh, by the time I was 12, I'd gone to five different schools. Okay, so that's like a school every year and a half. Uh, and that was just my dad was army, like I said, and we I was born in a city called Brisbane. Within 18 months, we lived in a small uh, regional army town called Pakopanyal in Victoria. Shortly after that, we moved to a suburb of Sydney called Holsworthy. Soon after that, we moved from Holsworthy to Tamworth. Uh, it was in Tamworth that dad res, uh, retired after 20 years in the military. And we moved to an area just outside of Tamworth built a home, ready to settle shop there and, and be done with the, you know, done with the moving. And then um, that enabled my mum to go back to working the career of her choice because she was happy, you know, she had to sort of be army wife as we kept transferring all the time. She finally got a job that she loved to do. And then within about uh, 18 months of that, that job transferred us into state to another town uh, at which we lived until we built another house and then we moved out to there. So um, in terms of where to grow up, almost everywhere. Uh, in yeah. terms of the resources around us, pretty much just the family and whatever neighbors we, we managed to get to know for a short period of time. Uh, we've got some fond memories, don't get me wrong. We had, we had, you know, we lived in some great little towns and and the fact that most of the kids when we were quite young were army brats as well. So mm. we didn't know any different. Every kid had toy guns and sandbag 
castles in the backyard and, and the best army gear to wear on the weekends because it was, you know, hand down from the parents. Um, so, yeah, man, I think that's part of what uh, built who I am and how I am, my ability to communicate, my ability to uh, be in a crowd of all different kinds of people, definitely my ability to um, handle and uh, uh, take on criticism, mm. confrontation, de-escalate and escalate. Uh, it's yep. all, it all part of the package, man. So New, that new environments. Why, yeah. Uh, I, I answered some questions for a for an online uh, for this company that do they sort of interviewed me recently and and I said to them you know apart from communication and resilience and resourcefulness another great skill you got to learn when you moved around that often was how to fight. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> you're the new kid at school and for the first week or two everything's cool everyone wants to know the new kid and then someone looking back as a as a grown man I can remember the faces of the guys I had my fights with at almost every school. And how they were friends in first. And then all of a sudden the attention went from them to the new kid. And I almost can remember the, the change in demeanor and, and, and we'd catch the school bus and all of a sudden they didn't want to sit around or you're on the playground all of a sudden. And looking back now, I could, I could see it escalate. And um, as kids, the old man put us into martial arts since we we're about five years old. Ah, awesome. And it was always though, if you ever use this at school, I'll beat the shit out of you. Yeah, like it was the threat of don't <laughs> And so like we'd have these punch-ups at school that we had to make sure we didn't get a mark on us so that we didn't come home and have to explain it. So you got really good at, at um, uh, handling yeah. the shit so that, so that you came home without a scratch, right? And Unscathed, yeah. That, that went really well until I was about uh, 10 or 11 and the kid's arm got broken. Like the bone came out of his arm of the, the kid I was scrapping with at the time. I was like, all right, so we can't hide that one. And, and parents are knocking on the door and... and um. I still remember being more petrified of the results of what that was going to mean to me when the old man found out what had happened. Mm. And uh, this lady came to our door screeching like a banshee and all this stuff about, oh, you know, this and my kid's got a broken arm and your son did this. And I just remember dad handling it pretty short and sharp as, as he's a, very, a man of very few words and looked at me and I was like, here we go. Fuck, <laughs> beating of my life here. And he turned around and goes, so what kind of kick did you use? <laughs> <laughs> that was the only thing he could have said. Brilliant work. Well done. <laughs> Pretty much, I mean, man. But I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't the kind of kid that fed off that, you know, like I, I never enjoyed it. I never enjoyed yeah. getting punch ups. Like it was not, you know, some people do enjoy and they feed off it. I, I didn't like it. And I would try to not have the fight as, mm. as far as I could until it got to that point where you're like, you can't. I anymore. literally used yeah. to say to kids, "You got to throw the first punch if you want to do this. You got to you got to do it first because if you throw first, I can react. I'm not going to start yeah. it." And yeah. as kids, you realize the punches don't hurt. You know, so to wear that first one was always like, "That's the go light." <laughs> that's yeah. the, that's the defend yourself. Co time. Cobra Kai says, uh, "Was a strike first, strike hard, no mercy." <laughs> yeah, well, we grew up around the, so the, the karate kids. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, probably. Probably it's probably one of those things that was just in us. We didn't know. Like my instructor was equally as uh, intimidating and, and and forceful on the don't do this for fun. So I guess we were we used it in the right methods. And it, it's I found uh, football as a as a teenager and that kind of enabled me to take all that and and put it to good use on a mm. on a, on a uh, an arena where it was celebrated. <laughs> you know, and yeah. You were, you're a champion for that kind of action. So I can there. see already why, just from you sharing that first part of your story, why you are kind of in the field you are now and why you are where you are. Because 
uh, we get a lot of what we've got from our parents and this mm. can be positive this can be negative I mean um, you know I love my mum to bits but you know growing up was really hard um, my mum was just repeating patterns that were passed down to her and a lot of those patterns I mean she's still up until a couple of years ago uh, was was you know struggling really hard with depression and trauma from her childhood and um, that was what kind of I was brought up on was uh, trauma and uh, and hardship because he was just she was showing me that was the way so in order for me to break the cycle you know I had to go through what I, what I went through I had to do the things I had to I had to do uh, to reach that point of having an epiphany where I was like if I continue this I'm going to end up in prison or dead like there is no third option if I continue but what it sounds like to me on your end is that you know you had a, a great dad your, your dad was there Look, he, 100%. Look, I, I, I do. I have a great dad. Looking back now as a 42-year-old man, yeah, we had a great dad. At the time, no, nah, <laughs> no. <nah. laughs> he was um, very, very strict, very militant. Um, kids are to be seen, not heard. You know, you sneezed the wrong way. You got the belt across your ass multiple times. Like, as a kid looking, as a kid at the time, I was like, man, this guy is cranky. He's angry all the time. What's mm. going on? And, and fortunately, he was not an asshole of a human. You know what I'm saying? He just, mm -hmm. he's a, he went through a tough childhood himself and he was then ex exposed to the, the brutality of war, the horrors of war, yeah. and then came back in and within, within you know, seven years of, of returning from that uh, conflict, he was, he, was a, he was a husband and a dad and, and, and trying to make different lives, yeah. Trying to make the world work. And, and fortunately, uh, my mum was, complete opposite you know she grew up on a on a dairy farm with a big family and went to boarding schools and all that sort of stuff and so it was good we had the the dichotomy of you know mum would be there to sort of the empathy and the, and the understanding and, and sort of relaying why and how things are working and but you know as as rough as things could have been at the time with the old man again he did the, he did what he knew that's how he was taught how to teach discipline that's how he was taught to communicate that's how he was taught to handle punishment um his dad would have would have been you know he, he would have been a slightly watered down version of his father right mm. um so mm. it, it the, the he was going the right direction so like i said he and i we we get on like a house on fire we share a lot in common uh but yeah you're right what what that childhood did was enable me to be who i am today so it took me years in and out of this realization of what was good and what was bad and and I think that childhood enabled me to push my limits and, and I'll go into mm. some, but not all. There's some limits that got pushed to the maximum that the only reason I never got pinched or, or caught myself in a bad situation where many of my friends did was, was that, that discipline, that, that voice in the yeah. back of your head going, yeah. you know, don't fuck it up because don't step the line. Yeah. Yeah. Like we, mm. we grew up around outlaw motorcycle uh, gangs uh, heavily at some at, at a period of time, especially my formative years when I was a teenager. Like it was not unusual to have presidents and sergeant arms of some of the biggest known outlaw clubs in and around our place. And as a big kid, you know, I was a hundred kilos by the time I was sixteen. They're like trying to woo me into it, and the old man would be like, "Hey, he'll make his decision if he wants to do it. If he doesn't want to do it." And there was no pressure. Don't get me wrong. They were just like, you know, how, how your big brothers would be like, you know, if someone was like, mm. hey, what's up, big guy? You know, you should come for, hang out with us sometime. And yeah. 
fortunately I had had the old man there that he was part of him, but he was also his own man. He wasn't yeah. going to sign himself over to somebody else. And I had football as well, which was the other thing that sort of kept me on the um, on the straight and narrow. So, yeah, I think that that I, I made some posts recently that at the time I used to think that these mundane chores and this high, high level of standards that he would expect from us, like military style cleaning, you know, like mm. you clean your room and there'd be a finger dragged across the top of the door. And if it was dust, it would be, you know, get a couple of swift kicks up the ass and then you have to start again, <laughs> you know? And at the time I thought, man, none of my friends' dads do this, you know? Yeah. But now I look yeah. back, it wasn't about the kick in the ass and it wasn't about the dust. It was like, if you're going to do something, fucking do it. How you do one thing is how you do all things. What you the standard you walk past is the standard you accept, right? So Boom. polishing our shoes, man. We were the only kids up until high school that went to school every Monday with polished ass shoes, you know, like yeah. like tiny ass shoes. And um, even to today, man, I don't wear leather shoes that require polishing because of it. Yeah, because uh, it's a it's a medial task that I hate to do. But if I have a pair of leather <laughs> shoes, I guarantee they're going to be the most cleanest. They're going to be fucking shiny. Yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, staying on the subject of like these traits, because it's definitely present, you know, in our adult lives and definitely present. And then obviously we then, you know, display these in our businesses and, and we download them into our clients and all sorts of things. So they have this ripple effect. Um, I think that it's really important for, you know, and this is just on the, the subject of parenthood, because we touched on it earlier. Like, you know, one of the things that I just truly really want for my daughters is that, you know, I'm going to, me and my partner, by the way, sounds not the same as your mum and dad, but you know, I'm one character. She's one completely different sure. character. Like, we ain't the same. Um, but congratulations, what you humans. Yeah, hundred percent. Ain't that beautiful? Um, yeah. And what what I really want for them is I want them to be able to take the best of both each. You know, and that really is a skill in and of itself because you have to be aware enough to say like, oh, what thing am I doing now that is destructive in my life that belong to my mum or belong to my dad? Identify and what, Yeah, 100%. Story again. Mm. Figuring That's it out, it. codifying it, putting it out in front of you and, and figuring out like, you know, what, what at this point in my story, this is what I picked up from this person. And these are the traits that they had. And these are the ones I don't want. So I, I, I want catch myself my daughters it. to really do that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I catch myself doing it all the time. A, a lot less. These, I mean, I, I still presently looking for these things or I do notice them, but I, I don't do them as often, but it's getting snappy or, or like getting cranky. at something that's really not fucking worth getting pissed off about. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Whether that's traffic or something the kids have just done or something that I noticed around the house. I'm like, Oh, that's, that's dad. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or that's mum, or that's another role model in my life that, that passed on yeah. something at some particular time that I thought was how it needs to handle. And, and, you know, in the, the most sobering thing at times is when I look back at my kids, I see them act in a way that is mirroring me, mirroring dad who mirrored mm. his dad. And you're like, mm. what? Yeah. Now, Mind blown. So how is that even still present? Yeah. And we're, we're aware of this stuff. So what about the families that aren't aware of it and they're generations <laughs> deep into this suffering cycle or this blame cycle or this, or this winning um, streak? It, can, it, yeah, doesn't always it works the opposite way. way. Yeah. It works both ways. It works always. That's the thing, though. It's um, at least being where everyone talks about being present and all the rest of it. It's not all airy-fairy shit. It's, it's right there in front of you. It's in your life and you've got to notice it and, and, and record it some way mentally, 
journal it, mm. whatever, tattoo it, mm. doesn't matter. There's ways to to get on top of it, you know? Absolutely. So, bro, I want to kind of swing it back around school, football, uh, teenager. Um, can you, like, just kind of focus in on this period of your life there and how that, you know, because obviously you were introduced to fitness through that quite young. Yeah. Um, and, and how did you stay focused on fitness at that time when you had, you know, external pressures of, you know, motorbike gangs and just general pressures that get in the way when you're growing up and going through your teens into your early twenties. Like, can you recall on some of that? For sure, bro. Like, okay. I've always been a a big kid, a little chubby kid, you know, um, my brother's two years older than me. And by the time I was probably five or six, I was already taller and, and bigger than he was at seven or eight, you know, um, I had the big gene. He's, he's not that big. I, got the- <laughs> I was always, I was always like, I liked, uh, I knew I was kind of strong. I liked rugby league. You know, I liked basketball. Uh, I didn't mind lifting the, the wheelbarrow when it was full of wood. Yeah. That was the kind of shit I'd like to do. And I hated running. I did not like to run, uh, during the martial arts days, you know, like push-ups, give me the push-ups. Don't get me doing the sit-ups. I hated the sit-ups. So there were certain, certain things I liked and didn't like, but it was always around being active. I guess the old man knew that I was either going to be a big fat kid or I was going to be a big strong kid. So let's try and take the better option here. Um, I got into basketball in, in like 10 to 13 and basketball was fun, but uh, again, I, I was getting fouled out before the game had finished. So, um, I had a few concussions as a kid and mum wouldn't let me play rugby league as I got older. She was worried about, you know, further concussions and injuries and all this sort of stuff. And just happened to be that the town I lived in had an American football team, they had a gridiron team and they had some imports out and, and it was all, it looked amazing and all the rest of it. So I'm like, Hey mum, gridiron players wear helmets. Maybe I could go play that sport because if I'm wearing a helmet, they, they're going to protect my skull more than rugby league would. Right. It's just like, seems seems legit go for it so for the first year or two i was um i was hanging i went down there the first let's start from the start i went down and i was 14 and um they said oh look we don't have a we don't have an under 19 we don't have a juniors team we don't have a kids team it's men only we're only got like from 20 years old and above and we've got american imports and it's a it's a big deal i said oh and they go but listen it's pre-season why don't you come around hang out you can learn the game and um you know put the pads on you can run with us and if you like it then keep turning up to practice and tell your mates and maybe we could have a junior team to compete in the junior league uh which was in the main city we could we could put a team in for next year and i'm like yeah cool whatever let's do that so i think right then was a good point because all these guys were 10 years older than me you know what i mean and they took me aside like oh look this kid's got potential like i was 85 kilos at year 10 which is yeah 14 15 and so i was i was i was was as heavy as some of the men but the 85 kilo dudes were way more athletic faster fitter stronger than i was as a 15 year old at that stage so my coach pulled me aside and goes listen man you're either going to have to get faster or stronger Mm. and i was like well i don't like running so let's get stronger so he it was also a power lifter and he took me under his wing and we'd train every morning before uh during school holidays we'd train every single morning and then on school days, it would be three days a week after school, plus two nights a week at football practice. Again, I'm just thinking I'm going to be part of the practice team. Yeah, We played a, a preseason scrimmage game and I, I just did a good job. I had a good game and, and I executed well against grown men. So they let me play the rest of the season. And that's pretty much where the it went from there, man. It made me re-interested in school because uh, uh, in Australia, American football is is not massive in terms of crowds and sponsors and all that, but everyone that plays it takes it pretty serious. They all go pretty hard on the training and education and all the rest of it. So 
there was an opportunity to, or, or there was, they said to you, look, you know, if you do well enough at your age, you could go to the US, you could go to a high school and, and you could probably go to a college or something. So I'm like, right, the only way that happens is by going through school. So you mm. asked what helped keep me on the straight and narrow was the games were usually away games. The town I lived in is a place called Toowoomba. It's about an hour inland regional city, regional town, I guess, from the main city of Brisbane and Gold Coast. So I would be on weekend road trips with those guys. Yeah, you know, I'd be mm. in the back seat of a car going to two, three hour drive, play a game of football, come back. That's you know? so cool because that yeah. in and of itself is an experience. They're experiences yeah. and people, you know, some people don't get those opportunities. You know, some people don't get that that chance. I was very fortunate. So they had the powerlifter who was a coach, had a six foot five, 130 kilo guy who, who and I, he and I were both rookies that year. He was a, he was a grown man. I was a kid, but both, <laughs> Chris, both hit it off and, um, I would go to I would go on road trips with him most of the time, you know. And um, Chris McCracken's his name; he's a legend. So he became a, a, a role model for me. And most of the team were they'd take me under their wing, and I was the kid on the team. And then the next year we had a junior team, junior program. We lost every single game. Uh, but then the following year, about six or seven of us from that junior team, we couldn't hold the team together. So we went back to the men's team, uh, and we won that year. We went. We lost our first game, won 13 games straight and won the grand final. So again, mm. those last three years of high school when people are testing their their boundaries and they're mixing with the right crowd or the wrong crowd. I had my crowd, man. And every Saturday yeah. we were away and there was probably only two months of the year where I wasn't really with those guys. And that was like, excuse me, the two months before preseason would kick off, which is January, February. Mm. You know, so yeah, for the most part, man, I always had good, I had that to, to sort of fall back on and, and, because of that, I needed to get fitter and faster and stronger. And uh, from 1995 to the start of 96, I'd, I'd 100 and something kilos. I was now over over 100 kilos by my senior year of high school. And mm. that was just from being around guys that were bigger, faster, stronger, and me trying to match it. So got to a point mm. where I'm like, man, I, I kind of like this. And if I don't do anything with this sport over in the US, I want to pursue this side of things because I, I the, the grades I was getting in school on the subjects relevant to fitness and training were, were good. I enjoyed doing it. Um, my friends were asking me about it because I was putting on size and I was, I was moving well. Uh, and then we, my best friend and uh, at the time, we don't even know where this fucking came from, but we started doing powerlifting <laughs> through our, our influences from our, he had a big brother that did it. I had my role model that did it, my coach. And we just remember at some stage, this video cassette just happened to appear in our world. And, and it might've been dropped off quite simply by his big brother, but no one knows where this video cassette come from, <laughs> but it was the like some Jumanji shit or something. <laughs> well, he, he, the big brother said he never did it. So we don't know where it came from, but it was Lou Simmons, West side barbell and the Russian conjugate method, powerlifting style, right? Five by five, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. So we watched this video cassette like it was the Bible. You know, we watched it every afternoon. We took notes from it. We literally wrote things down and we just went and applied it day after mm -hmm. day after day after day and got ridiculously strong for our age that as I was getting stronger, I was getting slower. So then I had to go and find other ways to use this sort of training to go fast. And that's one of the guys mm -hmm. I referenced in that, um, the post we talked about earlier was Joe DeFranco. Yeah. So yeah. I just found that the more I dug into this, the more it opened up to me. So we went and did our certs. We went, um, he and I, we would bounce up in the Toowoomba, the town we're in. So this is now 2003. We've, we've been doing this. We've been in the gym lifting for six or so years. Um, we would bounce on this nightclub on Friday nights. We'd finish at 3 a.m., go power sleep, get up at 7, kiss my my um, my partner, or my, my wife and my little baby at the time and drive the hour and a half to Brisbane, spend eight hours there, do the course, drive back home, 
kiss the guy, kiss the wife and the daughter, have a bit of a power nap, go bounce again. And we did mm. that for 12 weeks, every weekend for 12 weeks until we got our qualification. And then I did nothing with it for a few months after that. <laughs> I, I didn't feel, I felt I regressed my knowledge from doing the course, to be honest with you. Um, yeah. We were, yeah. We were without, we were humble enough to know we didn't know shit, but we also knew a lot more than what was presented to us in these certificate mm. courses. So, you, you know, you mentioned like the cassette and um, there's something really, I uh, just resonate with it because uh, you got to a good level from analyzing the cassette. You got to a good level from taking this one thing and turning it into a Bible for how to progress, for how to get better, for how to improve. And I resonate with that because I'm going to share something now. Um, so I used to play for uh, uh, my national team basketball. This was before my brother murdered someone, before my life got turned upside down. I was a fucking avid basketballer. I loved the game. Uh, and actually, uh, just a side note to that, um, after my brother did what he did and I was pulled out of school, we had a, uh, a a competition that we were supposed to go to. And although I was getting hate from the people that used to be my friends who are now calling me the boy whose brother murdered someone and really uncomfortable, awkward time to be alive, I decided that I would not let that stop me from going to that fucking competition. I put my jersey on and I fucking went and played my heart out. And that was the last ever you know, game that I actually played competitively uh, you know, before everything else took a hold and the trauma kicked in and everything. But how I got good at basketball was from analyzing an and one video, like literally this cassette. And I remember like back in the day when that's all you had, you didn't have no YouTube. You didn't have no fucking, <sighs> you couldn't, you, you <laughs> couldn't. I'm you, my head there was no internet. <laughs> no, it was like, this is a cassette. This is what I've got, you know, and I'm just going to analyze it. And I did. And, and I became very basketballer from, uh, from two things. One, analyzing the shit out of that cassette and just getting really good and taking notes like you, like you did. And then mm. two, because my mum wouldn't let me really go out much. She was very much a molly coddler. Um, I had to create a basketball court outside the basement flat that we lived. And yeah. what my brother did, my other brother, not the one that kills him, and the other brother, um, he actually made me a basketball hoop out of, and you're going to laugh at this, bro. He made me a basketball hoop out of a trolley, which he stole from a supermarket and a fucking wheelie bin, like this big bin. And he put the bin there. Uh, and then put the trolley on top. And every single time that I would throw the ball into the trolley, he would have to like tip it up so that the ball <laughs> fell back out again. <laughs> awesome, hey, man. Zero like, option mentality. Make it happen. 100%, man. And, you know, I just think that that's, that's just one of those things that there's, uh, make this relevant to anyone that's listening that may be trying to build a fitness business. Listen, you've got so many resources at your right. disposal right now. Like, it's almost, if you're it's struggling... Almost it's almost the reason why people don't succeed in fitness or any industry, but we're going to focus on fitness. It's almost the reason they don't succeed to the level that their potential is, is because they're, they're bombarded with all mm. this information and they don't have the attention span to block it out and just go, right. This one thing, like you said, it was an N one cassette. My basketball was all based on this. Um, it was a, a two video cassette series that I had to hire from the video store which oh, was the LA Lakers doing drills. Yeah. <laughs> back when Patrick Johnson was a kid, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was still playing. They were literally showing how to run layups. It was like five minutes of the team doing layups. Then it was yeah. five minutes of the team doing free throws. Like literally, I'd sit there and watch it. So, you know, I didn't have three million basketball videos to look at 
Because, you know, what happens now? You watch something and then the next video starts and before you know it, you're down the rabbit hole. Shiny object syndrome. Yeah. Pick something. Fucking go hard on it, you know? So like you did with that, like I did with my stuff um, and like many others before us did as well, is like we had limited resources. So that resource was worth a lot more to us than it probably Mm. would be today's environment. 100%. And, you know, I think you're right. This abundance of information and and is is there and it's, all consuming man i mean it's it's right in your face you like from the minute people wake up to when they go to bed they're just bombarded with this stuff and i think when you when you are one of those people that consistently skip between different mentor and different coaches talking about how to build a business like you probably will get stuck because you need to pick one and just follow their path and follow their process hundred mm, percent so it doesn't tell me about they're your only one it means pick one until you realize they are the one or they're not the one then cut it and go to the next one you know it doesn't 100%. mean go through hundreds of them but yeah 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 and obviously not staying on the path if it's not working um, right. which is <laughs> which is super important also so tell me about uh tell me about you know first major conflict man what was the first major thing and i, I and try and focus this around your story so far, what you've shared around you being, uh, you, you having this goal of getting better and better and better at your craft and becoming stronger and stronger and stronger and faster and faster and faster. So can you remember like your first major conflict setback, anything like that that happened at that point in your life that just pulled you off track? With regards to fitness, yeah? Yeah, man. Or yeah, yeah your, your process, the journey. Mm. So finishing high school was 1996. As I said, it was 2003 by the time I got certified to, to be a personal trainer. I went and PT'd at a, at a boutique studio, which was a lady owned it, and most of her clients were females. And I went in there and went, this is not me, man. I'm a meathead. <laughs> you know, <I'm, laughs> um, I, I was doing things with my buddy back then that are cool now that no one heard of back then, like adding chains to your bench press, you know what I mean? Using a block to, to get your bench depth off. Um, focus more on different different uh, muscle recruitment, you know, flipping tires, like we're doing weird shit. And then I'm in business attire and a polo shirt, basically listening to Meryl complain about why her neighbor's roses are annoying her, you know? And I was like, <laughs> can't do this, man. I would much rather, I was doing the PT. I, I wanted to become a PT because it's what I was in, enjoying, but I also thought I could earn the same money I'm earning bouncing without having to go through the the role of a bouncer in a country town where, People love to get drunk and fight bouncers. Mm, mm. <laughs> um, so I went down. I was like, "Man, I will take, I will take 3 a.m. in the middle of winter on Fibber McGee's Irish Pub over this any day. I'm done with it. PT is not what I thought it would be. Mm. At the same time, I'm like, it's been 30 seconds. I hadn't written it off completely. Just that role wasn't for me. Mm. So then uh, one of the bar managers at the at the place I worked, he said, "Oh, you're a personal trainer." I said, "Yeah." Like cool if you want to claim yeah i'm a pt and he goes good i want to join the police force here's my here's my list of shit i need to do i can't do any of it can can you train me uh, yeah okay well, i don't have a gym and he goes all right what do you want to do and i said leave it with me and i drove home i saw a little kid's playground not far from where i lived and went fuck that'll work you can do chin-ups there and we there's a slight hill you know get him running gases and stuff so he was my first paid client and um yeah just worked his little fucking jockey ass like he's a little dude <laughs> i just worked him and said listen man like I'm, I'm, I'm a grown man now. I'm a lot stronger and a lot more capable, but I was still a big unit and a big boy back then. I'm like, hey, if you had to arrest me now, you're fucked. There's no way you can do it. <laughs> We've got work to do. So, and and it was obvious in in the nightclub situation too. You know, like 
he would get stood over every night and we'd have to go and save him. So it was really cool. It was fun for me. That became a project. Now I'm like, oh, this is PT. Mm. You know what I mean? This is where I get to stay, take the information I've learned from those VHSs. I can take the, the formulas and the strategies they taught us in the course. I can understand my upbringing as a kid, the, the things that dad used to teach us to get us stronger mentally. And I'm like, now I get to put it all together. This is great, you know? Yeah. Um, and I was working at that time. I had, yeah. I had, the, had the bouncing job on the weekends and I worked in a factory making um, the parts that go to build Coke fridges and the deli fridges when you go to the supermarket where all the cold shits that kept in, right? So I was doing that every night and um, my boss goes, what are you doing? I said, what do you mean? He goes, look around. I looked around. He goes, look, alcoholic, stoner, never going anywhere. He'll be here till he dies. And he points out, he goes, why the fuck are you here? I said, it's good money. You know, I've got a little baby at home and I'm, I'm newly married and shit. It's, it's good money. He goes, you'll get money anyway. Fuck off. I said, what are you saying? Are you, are you firing me? He goes, no, no, you, you, your job's secure, but why? Like, why are you here? So I started thinking, man, he's right. So I started looking what a, into... What a fucking what a fucking honest and good dude. Yeah, big like, time, man. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah, Mark, I still remember him. He, he was. And and yeah, he was a legend, man. He, he spotted something. And I mean, I'd sit there while the machine's running. I'd be like reading the business section of the newspaper just because I wanted to learn some shit. You know, I was looking at real estate in, in the city where I was wanting to go to. And, and I guess he noticed what I was doing and said, go sort of thing. So that gave me a bit of courage. And I went, okay, mm. spoke to my wife and said, well, let's, let's go for a drive to Brisbane. It's an hour and a bit away. We found a place we thought would be nice to live. I used to work in a furniture joint, uh, like a loading the trucks and unloading the trucks. And that was one of them nearby. Like it was a change. So I thought I could get a job. This would be good. So I did that. We got settled in and then, um, uh, opportunity came to take over a gym it was this, it was a studio style gym it had all the equipment i liked um and there was also a commercial gym which is just a big franchise gym you know so i went to the franchise gym first i was like man I, there's no real support here i'm not really feeling the vibe it's commercial fitness yeah they didn't they never squat platform or rack you know um the bench presses were the kind of shit that if you had more than 80 kilos you're gonna fall off it I just wasn't feeling it. And I was starting to think it's like that studio again. I'm like, man, I'm, you know, fuck it. I think I should just be lifting furniture forever and, and what have you. And then this, this other one popped up and I went, I'll go check it out. And, and it looked good to me, man. It was like in a grungy part of the city, you know, um, you walked in and it was, it was just a, a space with bench press and deadlift and, and it had everything I wanted there. Right. And it was like, mm. okay, as a commercial gym, personal trainer, my rent was going to be $180 a week. Um, I'm responsible for my own leads I had to also give up uh, 12 hours a week unpaid on doing floor staff as well, you know, to be around, which which now I know the value of that. That's a good way to build rapport and generate leads mm, and all the rest of it. But 100%. I'd already figured out that that facility wasn't for me, right? So those 12 hours might've been 112 hours. I would not have enjoyed it and I didn't want to mm. be there. Mm. And so I looked at this other place and they go, right, it's, um, we'd love to have you on board. You can You can take over the lease, basically. The members all stay. There's uh, 140 members. They're paying $80 a week each. And this is what they get. It was like a PT hybrid gym, right? So I'm like, fuck, okay. That, that, the math adds up. That sounds pretty good. Um, sorry, uh, $80 a, a month, not, not a week. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, oh, this sounds pretty good. So basically the memberships are paying the rent and I'll, and I'll have a bit of you know, cash on top to survive while I build this thing up into something bigger and better. And the guy goes, yeah, that's, that's exactly how it's been running for this time. The guy that's been running it now, he's moving on to his degrees and nurse. He's finished that. He wants to move on to bigger, better things. I'm like, fuck, let's do it then. So it was $1,100 a week was my outgoings for rent alone. <laughs> you know, so it was a $4,400 a month deal. And um, 
I hadn't a lot of savings because we'd just relocated young dad, single income. You know, my missus wasn't working. She fortunately for us has always been able to really do the hardest job, which is help raise mm. the kids in the house. And, mm. and so we did, we had a chat and we said, look, we've got a bit of savings. There's a risk. There's yeah, a risk. It was a big risk, man. I said, okay, I can, pay our risk. I can pay the first month of rent up front. Um, but we will get the debits, you know, it's, it's, it mm. will be a couple of grand in front. We'll be earning more with the current membership base than what I'm earning lifting furniture. So let's do it. Right. Mm. Like, yeah. Well, uh, let, let, let's unpack that. Let's unpack that because I think that from a mindset point of view and being sure on yourself uh, is such a fucking important thing for people listening to this podcast now. And it was, I don't uh, want to... It was blind confidence. <laughs> was blind confidence. I'm not going to bullshit. I'm not going to sit there and go, I came with a... Like he said to me, bring your business plan. And I typed up some shit on a computer that I had. The ink was almost running out. So it looked like trash. And I just, I, I had no idea, man. I was just winging it based on the fact that it was um, self, it was, it was paying for itself, right? That's all I looked at. Now, yeah. me looking back would slap the shit out of younger me for not taking that information to at least a second person to look it over. Yeah, see, there you as go. As it turns out, the 140 members paying 80 bucks a month was more like 60 paying anywhere from 20 to $80 a month. And the, when I got there, there was an email that went out saying, hey, we've got a new owner. So if you ever wanted to get out of your agreement, now's your chance because you know, you'd have to start a new agreement. So I found that out. So before the end of my first month, my wife's mum uh, was diagnosed with cancer. She lives in San Francisco in the US. So we packed up my wife and uh, our daughter and they went over there for three months to spend some time. We didn't know, we didn't know what was going to happen. You know, they, they, she'd been mm. separated from her mum geographical reasons for quite some time so i was like man let's go right so mm. the blessing and the curse the, the blessing was i can live off two minute noodles and wheat bix by myself comfortably i didn't have to worry about supporting a young family at the same time and they got to go and spend the time with their mum in case that was the last part fortunately she she survived that bout and, and was with us for many more years later before she ended up passing but that three months, while they were gone, I sat down and I went, man, this is not, something's not right. It's not adding up. And I really looked, I opened up the books. I went through emails. Now, keep in mind, this is dial-up internet days. It's 2004. You know, so I've gone through everything. I've looked at it and gone, I'm getting fucked over so bad here. You know what I mean? We are not even making in a fortnight what this place is meant to cover in expenses alone in a month. And I got completely gypped by it, right? Mm. So typical... I don't know what English blokes are like, but typical Aussie bloke, I went, fuck it, I've got to dig myself out of this hole. I'm not going to ask anyone for help. I'm just going to go, right, it is what it is. I've got to do what I've got to do. So I got the business back to a point where I was making a decent living from it. So right out of the hole, got back up to where I was, okay, well, if I had to fly to the US right now, at least I can now afford to. And when the girls come back, we're eating proper food and rent's paid and, and life, is, life is going well. Mm. Anyway, then uh, some things started falling apart in the facility and the guy had the hide to want me to pay for things that were clearly, you know, 10, 15, 20 years old damage. And uh, that's why I kind of, the camel, the straw that broke the camel's back and I was venting to one of the PTs and he goes, fuck it, let's go open our own. I said, I can't, I'm on a three by three year lease. I can't, I can't get out of this. And one of my clients was a barrister, uh, mm. QC, the ones that wear the wig and stuff. And I vented to her and she's like, oh, you know, he has gotcha. You know, you could probably buy your way out or you could, find a way out but you know best is to just knuckle down and make it do make it work and then she looked at me she goes or you could probably try and negotiate with him and get out of it and she knew my background and then we had some deep conversations i went right 
I'm 23 at the time, thereabouts. I'm like, right, I've never been in trouble with the law. I've got no criminal record. I've got a pretty stable life right now and I could get character references easily. If I bash this guy, if I really bashed him, what do you think worst case scenario would be? And she goes, well, if he stayed alive, you'd probably get three months in jail. I went, okay. So I called a meeting with the guy and I said, listen, here's all the evidence. Here's all the paperwork. Here's the bank statements. Here's everywhere that I feel that you've fucked me over. And he had this little grin on his face like, welcome to business, Chris. It's a hard lesson, but I'm willing to mentor you out of it. Here's what I'm willing to do. And I just looked at him and went, so you're acknowledging you knew about it. And he goes, well, I didn't know it was that deep, but yeah, I guess you, you didn't ask questions. So I didn't have to provide answers. Fuck. I said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to terminate this lease right here, right now. I'm walking. He goes, you can't, you're on a three month lease, a uh, three year lease. I said, yeah, well, I've got legal advice. And what's going to happen is I'm going to beat the absolute fucking life out of you right now. And the rest of your life, you will not walk straight. And I'll be out in three months. And we'll do it again. <laughs> or terminate the lease and we can take it but we can both take it as a learning uh a, a learning process and we can move on and he just looked at me and he goes you're not serious are you <laughs> let's find out anyway so i let him sleep on it and the next night we turned up and he had the paperwork all there and he just tore it up in front of me and he goes all right grab your stuff we'll call it quits. So we're done so within about two months we'd moved into our second facility and that was a much better vibe much better mm. atmosphere to be the girls were back from overseas. My business partner and I were doing quite well. Um, however, I got to a point there where I'm just like, man, you know what? I don't know enough, man. I'm, I've got mm. to sit here and say, I don't know enough to make this business more than a job. It just feels mm. like I've created a job. Um, and with uh, long conversations with him, I ended up selling my, my, my share to him. And don't get me wrong, we didn't sell it for hundreds of thousands or tens of thousands. It was a, it was a gesture of a sale more yeah. than anything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what it did though, what, what it didn't provide me in money in the sale, it gave me back time with my wife and my daughter who I'd only see for fleeting moments on a Sunday. So yeah. work all day, Monday to Saturday and nights bouncing to make ends meet, to make it all work. But the biggest thing was, man, having that realization that the reason I'm not being able to do what I want this place to do is I just don't fucking know. I don't know those things. I mm. didn't have a sales process. I didn't have an onboarding process. I didn't have anything other than a flyer and, and my feet walking around the town generating leads. And I did okay with that. You know, I built, I built a business and made an income from it. But so the biggest challenge there was taking that big hit to your ego as a young bloke going, fuck, this mm. is the second place in two years I have to write off as a loss, you know, yeah. mentally and who I am. Meanwhile, I'm, I'm a competitive athlete. I love winning, you know, so I'm like, fuck, what am I going to do? So I ended up going back to the commercial gym that I stepped away from as a trainer and went back and worked for them in a membership sales slash club manager role. Brilliant. And I got to yeah, man. Like, yeah. That was like lights on moment, bro. There, all the skills I needed to succeed that I didn't have, they were all taught to me there. I got exposed to them there. I understand more how the gyms operate on a business level rather than on a passion level, you know, and it made the world of difference, bro. And that's where I, I guess recalibrated and had a look at where I failed and I could see all these other PTs taking the same path I had because there is nobody showing them any different. Yeah. Mm. Uh, full circle, come back around. And um, I, I'm always in the background PTing my friends. I got football guys from interstate cause I was uh, competing at a high level and had a bit of a reputation for my, for my position and what I could do. So guys would always say, Hey man, how do you, like, what do you do for your training? What do you do? So I'd sell, uh, packages again this is not like it is today with online it's like 
I would literally create a, a, a Word document. I'd save it as a PDF. I'd email it down to them. I'd jump on the phone. I'd explain it over the phone. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. Oh, yeah. Take a photocopy down at the news agent and they'd email or, or mail it back to me. And, you know, it was... Bro, it was, this is resonating so hard, man, because um, basically I, I learned a lot of my sales experience from the same role. I worked for Fitness First. Uh, this was back in the day when they were successful and they had hundreds of clubs all around the world. And I worked at this uh, club called... We were, we were the main competitor out here. Oh, shit. It was no competition because you didn't have me there. You see, if I was there, <laughs> if I was in there, yeah, then you would have been in trouble. But hey, bro, no, 300 it, memberships a month on average, our team was pulling. <laughs> That's crazy. Okay, it's better than we did. Yeah, but what yeah, was yeah. interesting was I okay. learned so much about the sales game like and although it was only selling a 35 pound membership it wasn't it's like selling yeah 100 percent, man and and i had a great manager peter gardner i've there's a there's a few people who have changed the trajectory of my life and as we've uncovered some of your story today obviously we could go back through that and see it, it was the powerlifting coach that took you under your wing it was your dad yep. so you start to find these people that just change the trajectory of your life and peter gardner Absolutely. was the guy that helped me do that and I yeah. went from selling 35 pound memberships at that place. Uh, I then went back to like a van driving job because I just didn't believe that I was capable of doing much more than that. Just a lot of self-doubt and all the good stuff. That was when I bumped into my mentor, Mark Raymond Manklo, who then got me an opportunity to sit in front of a guy, uh, at a company called Apple Home Improvements to do direct sales. And within 14 months of working across three companies, uh, I had sold over a, nearly a half a million pound in polyurethane spray foam, which is like an insulation yeah. product. Now yeah, I can guarantee that I would have never been able to do those things if it wasn't for Pete. If it wasn't for Pete and it wasn't for Fitness First, it wasn't for that fucking sales assistant job, the foundation wouldn't have been built. I just wouldn't have been able to do it. Was that the same thing for you, for you as well? Yeah, bro. Like I, I honestly wish, and this is part of what I coach now, I wish that every budding personal trainer could work as a membership sales consultant for a period of time before they became a PT. Absolutely. You know, I agree. Ideally, at the club they want to operate out of because then they've built themselves a big fucking database of people to go and you know, mm. engage with afterwards. But the skills, man, like um, how many PTs could sit there and tell you their client statistics? Their weights, their 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 strength, you know, their their records on the on the gym floor, their macro, they would, they'd be able to rattle it off for you, right? Say, hey, mm -hmm. give me the weight of all your clients, blah 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 blah. Give me the um, kind of programming they're all on. Oh, this many on weight loss, this many on strength. Yeah, this many. Okay, cool. yeah. Tell me your sales metrics, crickets. Yeah, how many leads have you got? How many people do you call a day? How many do you need to call each day to have X amount answer to have X amount take the call? Uh, to, to, you know, to book an appointment to have how many show up? Feudal opportunity mm. to present to and how many closed? Okay, you closed one today. So work backwards. We need to do 30 phone calls a day to get eight appointments, to get four Absolutely. to turn up, to present to two, to close one. Cool, get mm. your phone out, brother. We've got 30 phone calls to make every single day. Yeah, You know what I mean? And it was the, the brickwork. Yeah, it's hmm? the brickwork that builds the house. It's the brickwork that builds the house. I mean, it was that and resourcefulness that I took from that role. I mean, like, you know. And, you know, we, it's been from nothing. you got to get, you got to, find people that when they wake up in the morning had no idea they were about to go and join a gym Fuck now because yeah. we were passionate trainers and we i was fortunate the, the team i worked with we had one sales gun the rest of us were we loved fitness we loved the gym so i was like dude mm. come check out what we've got 
you know, it's only going to cost you this. Fuck, that's like two meat pies and a couple of cans of Coke. You're already wasting that at the food truck. Why don't you put it to your gym and then you won't need that anymore? And like, yep. it, was, it was an easy sell because it was shit we were passionate about. But yeah. it wasn't about the product, man. What I what got me off on it was the, the the strategy, the process. Like there's an actual formula rather than me just doing what I was doing with my business was trying to sell from passion. Yeah. I knew that wasn't working. That only takes me so far. I needed to have a replica a system that can be replicated. Mm. We can measure it, we can record it, we can find out where it works. Now, again, my background is American football. It's not a free-flowing sport like rugby mm. or, or soccer where the goal is to score and you've got your athletes just moving. It's strategic. You mm. go here, he goes here, this guy goes here. We watch it back on the film. Why didn't it work? Because you only went here instead of here and he only went there. So, okay, repeat it. Bang, bang, bang. Now it works. We can go get a result. That's how my brain was working after years of playing American sport in the way that they were coaching. So I made that connection that I need process. Once I've yeah. got a clear structured process, then I get to, this is what I always call it, right? Most PTs struggle with confidence, believe it or not, right? They don't have a lot of self-confidence. Half the reason mm -hmm. that's why people get into PT and athletics and stuff because they're trying to find something to replace that, that gap or to, to hide that insecurity, right? So a lot of PTs struggle. That's not to say they don't have an ego. They just struggle with pure confidence, right? And the things they struggle with, with the confidence because they haven't done it enough to be confident in that particular thing. So talking about generating leads, they struggle. I'm not confident to talk to people on the gym floor. It's because you haven't done it enough. Yeah. If you've done it a hundred times, you'll develop this confidence because you had the discipline to execute on it a hundred times. So confidence built on discipline will almost always lead to success, whatever that Absolutely. success looks like to you, right? So you do this, build the discipline, develop discipline to earn confidence, right? When you earn that confidence, you'll succeed. Then when you're succeeding, you go back and you sprinkle a little bit of ego on top of that confidence. Now you've gone from being a good performer to now you want to be the best performer. Boom. So I always go develop the discipline to earn the confidence to achieve success. And then the ego is what's going to get you to the next level. I fucking love that, man. You guys need to be taking notes. If you, As you're listening to this, this is what I said at the beginning. Chris is a wealth of knowledge. And, you know, he's made a lot of mistakes and he's gone through these processes and he knows what works and what doesn't. So as he's talking, you guys really need to be getting your notepads out. You know, if you're passionate about building an online fitness business, uh, or you're passionate about building your own personal confidence, these tips here right now, these strategies, these tips, this is what you need to go away and implement. I mean, two things that come to mind, uh, tailing off the back of what you've said here is, I, I agree. I think that a lot of people get into the business thing and they build it intuitively. Like, let me ask you a question as a fitness coach. Do, is it possible, unless you know exactly what you're doing because you've been through the processes before, is it fucking possible to build a body of your dreams in, with in, intuition? No, it's hard because you don't know what you're doing. Once you're down the line, you've done it a bunch of times. Yes, you can listen to your body and be intuitive about what workouts you do and all that good stuff and maintain it and maybe improve it. But when you're just starting out, you're trying to build a business, you can't be doing that shit with intuition. It ain't going to work. It might work so for I a bit. I told you exactly how it looks when you try that. <laughs> Bam, exactly. Uh, so, you know, be more intentional, you know, learn what you need to learn. Um, get out there and fucking do the stuff that Chris is saying. The second one is confidence. And I relate this, uh, what you've said to story. Um, the reason why a lot of personal trainers, online coaches, fitness coaches, nutritionists, et cetera, don't have that confidence is definitely tied into what you said. I reframe that into story. 
they don't value their story enough. They just don't value it enough. If they they were to, they don't know it. So with that in mind, how important do you think it is for people to get vulnerable and start looking at their story, uh, connecting with their story and sharing their story? Talk, talk me through how you've done it and why that's Great important question. for other people. First, I'm going to pre-frame this with, let's not confuse vulnerable with the hyped up trending word vulnerable. Okay. We don't need to go find our sad story. We don't need to find <laughs> our armor just because it's, trending thing to do right and i I make that clear because you aren't that life but you understand what vulnerability is yeah and i want the people listening to understand there's a difference between understanding your own vulnerability and going looking for people to acknowledge that you're being vulnerable yeah it's like wearing a t-shirt today's my vulnerable day give me a hug it's like no there's a difference man oh man you fucking you are in my head chris i swear to god (laughs) Drop the shield of nobility. Brother, please carry on. This is gold, man. And it, it comes with a lot of self-reflection, you know, like um, a lot of those nights when I was, when I thought I was fine. Now I look back now and go, the nights I was driving home from that gym while my, my wife and daughter were in the US, pretty lonely, right? You've just finished another flog day when you know you're not really making any ground. You drive home through traffic at eight o'clock at night. There shouldn't be traffic at eight o'clock at night, but there is because of the part of the city I was in. Get home to an empty house two minute noodles and whatever leftover meat I had from the night before that I cooked enough of to you know get through the week where you know it's quite lonely it's quite sad but I didn't look at it that way you know what I'm saying like another step closer to them coming home or another step closer to having a win I look back now and I think um, man considering the shit heap of a business that they that they left me that first one and my rent alone was $1,100 per week not including living expenses and all the rest of it man I made it work and I looked at, I was charging 20 and $40 a session. So bro, do the math. You'd know I was, I was grinding and I was working hard. You know, I just wish that there was a, a, a tap on the shoulder back then and saying, oh, just take a step back and have a look at where, where you're at right now. Not a look how far you've come and give yourself a, no, not that. Mm-hmm. I'm just more like, hey, you, you're like this. And for those listening, my hands in front of my face, it's like you can't see past this perceived wall. Mm-hmm. Yep. I look back now and I'm like, I would love to give that dude a tap on the shoulder and go, hey man, you're in a rough situation, but fuck, you've generated $1,100 plus each week in personal training in your first 12 months as a as an actual personal trainer. Yeah. Without a leads, without a commercial gym flow of members, this is me hustling in an area that <laughs> you got to keep in mind, this gym that I had next door was a swingers club on Thursday, Fridays and Saturdays. <laughs> Two doors up was an alcohol and drug drop-in center for homeless people. Uh, this was not a this was not a nice part of town, man. It was a convenient pass-through, so all the clients that would go there had good businesses and good corporate jobs. It was a convenient spot for them to pull in through on their way to their their big jobs, right? But it was not. I, I was not generating leads doing my my walking the street, putting flies in letterboxes, which I tried for the first few months. You know, I'd have to drive my car 20, 30 meters, uh, 30, 20 to 30 minutes away and let a box drop from there and hope they were the people who would drive past my shit on the way to work. Mm. Yeah. So you talk about being vulnerable, man. For me, that was in those car drives from my house to the gym at 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning. They were in those car drives back home again for, at 8 o'clock at night trying to bust it to get home in time to see the little one before she'd go to sleep. You're in that car and, and I would... I, very rarely would I be listening to music. I'd just be in my head. 
Sometimes it would be, fuck this, fuck that. Other times it'd be, all right, get it straight. What are we going to do? Other times it'd be like, plan, formulate, let's go, you know? And it's just the way there's always an opportunity for you to get vulnerable and to, and to have a look inside yourself of what's going on. You don't necessarily have to project it out to the world. Um, it took me a 100%. while to understand law of attraction. And I'm talking like the last four or five years that I actually took a better look at it and understood. Now, the, the language I guess that I was using back then was, fuck, this is tough. Oh my God, how am I going to do this? Oh, fucking hell. I just lost another couple of clients, but that means I'm just, I'm doing okay, but I'm below what I need to be at. You know, I was always the throwing the negative vibe out there and I'd try and throw the negative vibe out to overcome it. You know what I'm saying? Mm. This is the problem. This is what I'm facing. Fuck. And then I would try and figure out a way around it. Now, when you start to work out the law of attraction, excuse me, and, and how all that stuff works, I'm still, a, I'm still a student of it. Don't get me wrong. I don't know it exactly, but I understand it a great deal better than I did. Now I don't have those, when I'm talking to myself driving or when I'm inside my own head, I try to reframe it in a much more useful way. I don't necessarily yeah. need to do it in a positive way, just a more useful way. What, what's the situation? What's the most useful thing I can take out of this situation? And then try to figure out, okay, what's, what's my move on that? What do I want to happen? What do I exactly. need Exactly. Because by doing that, you, you, you manifest, you know, what you, is that you're asking for so you stay in that you know sticky vulnerable place and you know try and seek it out in that way is probably going to stay around you and, and it's going to manifest in the physical realm to say how you how you're talking to yourself and how you're it seeing yourself in your mind all of a sudden you're getting stuck in shitty traffic you know what i mean mm. free-flowing mm. traffic oh, it's not so bad it could it could be walking it could be raining mm. it's not so bad traffic flows yeah yeah so you know, like, check yourself out. you'll notice something similar one of the things that really helped me open up to this about three years ago was um, I went on the same discovery. A lot of people listening to this, to this would be going, I want to go and research winners. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm listening to podcasts and audio books and I'm, and I'm watching YouTube channels and motivational stuff. And I'm like, Oh, these are what it takes to be a winner. Like I get it. I studied Michael Jordan when I was like 14, you know, this is 1993, 94, around about that time. I was like big fan of, of him and i remember hearing interviews of people saying they didn't like him i'm like fuck that's like me people don't like me as an opposition my teammates do but people that i play against don't like me and i don't care because they're an opposition but why don't they like me because i'm intense i want to win and i don't care i want to make sure i win and i want to do it on my terms right mm. so i would always um i'd always be studying these winners just like like everyone else studies winners right but it was only a few years ago i realized and went you know what the biggest downfall for a lot of people is we all know what a winner looks like. There's no shortage of information on how to be a winner, but we all suck at understanding what a loser looks like, what a loser mm. sounds like, what a loser acts like. Because if you understood more, if you understood as much about a loser as you did about Michael Jordan, you would never be a loser again in your life. Therefore, mm. you'd be stepping a lot closer to being a winner. Because what happens is we'll have a good run, we'll have a good week, everything's going well, we're doing things good, everything's cool. We're like, yeah, yeah, then something bad happens. You're like, fuck rant fuck bad mood fuck this and all of a sudden do, 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 do. before you know it you've been a loser for a week yeah yeah i say to pts most of the reason most of the time pts fail at, at a gym is because they let the loser overtake the winner they're mm. blaming everybody they're no longer at the gym as much anymore yeah they only turn up for the one or two clients they've got left uh the, the gym doesn't provide enough leads the classes aren't at the right times uh the members don't have money anymore. You know, they've got all these reasons and excuses. And every time I hear that, I say to people, oh man, yeah, I see the signs, bro. You've got 30 days left in you, I reckon. 
So you yep. got to turn that around, or you got to make peace with it and, and move on. Hundred so percent. What are the signs of a loser, and, and recognize and acknowledge them when they're in you, because they will be. And when you do identify them, you just got to turn that around straight away. Make that your mm. prompt to go and be a winner for the rest of the day to flush that shit out of your head. Yeah, I was saying to Billy Schwer yesterday, uh, former IBO lightweight champion of the world boxer, phenomenal story. Definitely go check that uh, that podcast yeah. out. But we were saying about how to just wrap this up would be um, you get to tell yourself a story. You get to tell whatever story you want. So it may as well be a good fucking story. It may Remember as well be a good kid? one. When you were a kid, did you ever play the game where you were the loser? Did you ever, <laughs> ever dream about being the bad guy? Or oh, probably the bad guy. Yeah, we all did that. But did you ever try, did you ever pretend you were the guy that got shot out of the high building and fell all the way to the ground? No, fuck no. You're, no. The, you're the hero. Or if you're not the hero, you're the villain who's the hero of the bad guys. You know, like Exactly. So why do we stop doing that as we get older? Why do we stop thinking we can be whoever the fuck we want to be and we settle for this a buzzword right now is the narrative that's out there. You know, like why do we, oh, why do we do that? Why do we let someone else's insecurity that got into our head at some stage in our development overtake our thoughts about who we used to think we wanted to be? Yeah. And tying into that, then uh, I want to talk about your identity before we wrap this uh, show up, bro. I've enjoyed every second of this. This is fire. And uh, I think this is going to be tremendous value for people listening, but to tie into what we were just talking about, identity, your old identity, looking back at your old identity, at who you've been over the years, um, what kind of uh, what kind of things do you think shifted that helped you step into this new identity that you are today? Can you get specific maybe on a couple of character traits or values that you have or uh, examples, like anything like that? Yeah, man, like if we're talking... Um along those paths i mean growing up with a dad that i had it was always like a i guess some sort of inferiority complex you know never quite got it right you're never quite sure if you're going to get told off about the job being done the right way or not you know and that's cool like i said at the start i made my peace with adam completely moved on and understand where and why that was going on but then i grew then i went into a football team where i was a kid against grown with grown men so i was always like i'm not the biggest i'm not the strongest you know it wasn't until I was sat back one day and I was looking at photos and, and football footage. I'm like, fuck, you're a big man. And you're, and I don't mean that in a physical sense or whatever. I'm like, you command a presence and you, you're getting the job done and you're the, you know, you're an alpha in your community. Like at what point are you going to acknowledge that what other people are acknowledging? At what point do you have to sit back and go, I'm no longer the kid that's getting told off by a, by a cranky dad. I'm no longer the the little pup in the team that's trying to live up to the big boys, you know, like I am the big boy. Yeah. And at some point I had to acknowledge that and, and believe it or not, it probably wasn't really and clearly into my early thirties where I had that, that moment and sat back and went, you know, and by the, keep in mind by this stage, I'm a dad for 10 years. I'm a father. You know what I mean? I am that role model for somebody else. And it took me a while to sit back and go, huh, right. Cool. And there was a shift. And I still kept two sides to me separately. There was uh, the me that played football and the, the attitude and the style and the, the way I was. And then there was me that turned up to work. Now, obviously there's family that were on both sides of that. You know, they saw me and everything about me. Two different hats I'd wear there. And it wasn't until about four or five years ago, I went, why can't I bring what's made me successful on the football field into my business world? Why do I feel they have to be two different humans? Yeah. So on the football field, it's we have, we have a task goal orientated 
The goal is to win by doing these things, right? It's very simple. Fuck, it's a very simple concept. We either achieved the, the goal or we didn't achieve the goal. And I would communicate that uh, accordingly to my teammates. Um, I'd go to work and would have similar things, goal setting and, and a goal to achieve or a task to achieve. And if it didn't get, I'd, I'd go at them with a different tact and it'd be really soft and it'd be allowing them to believe their own bullshit that just wasn't sitting right with me until I had that, you know, that over a 10 year span epiphany, I guess, where I just went, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. Why can you be like that and expect a result and, and do this differently and expect a different result? Like bring it across and, and, a, and a friend, ex-teammate, um, uh, confidant at the time he played for the team that was my nemesis team you know we had the most brutal hand, like, you know, the, there was a game once that uh, almost turned into an all-in brawl at a takeaway after the game <laughs> except it was just me against the whole team I'm not saying I could have taken them they would have destroyed me but my ego my confidence allowed me to be the be the alpha in that situation and I somehow yeah. got away with it but the point is that team and I used to hate each other and this guy comes up to me after a representative tour and he's like, hey, man, you know what? You're not the arsehole everyone says you are. I said, I'm glad you can see that. And he goes, no, no, don't get me wrong. When you're on the opposite team, you're the biggest arsehole on the planet. He goes, but when you're on the, your team, you're the best kind of arsehole there is. And that's, you've got our back. And yeah, we all know where we stand and we're all pushing for the same outcome. Mm. And for those who are still listening from the start, that's where the 51 in my business came, business name came from. The 5-1 represents that side of me, that strength, that leadership, that resilience, that having your back no matter what. That's the 51. That's why my business name is called 51 Fitness Industry Training. That's, that's cool, man. I fucking love it, bro. I mean, dude, this has been a, a tremendous a tremendous story, man. I mean, I, I, I will be listening back myself um, probably multiple times that like we were saying earlier on with the cassette. I like to analyze the stories. I like to listen back to them. Um, so, uh, this is definitely one of those episodes that we're getting more than one listen back from myself, bro. Um, there's one more question that I think is important just before we are, before we kind of let people know where they can find you and come and connect. Yeah. But how much have you really put on an emphasis on where you're going in the future? Because I know that this will probably resonate with a lot of people at the moment with all the bullshit that we spoke about before we went live um, about COVID and the world and all this other stuff. It, for me in 2020 was very, very hard. And this is me being vulnerable. It was very hard for me to see further than sort of a few days ahead. Uh, I think all of the pressures got on my head. Uh, I invested in a new business back in March, 2020, a, a plant-based uh, kitchen, like a, a food prep delivery service thing. Um, you know, that was a failing business before I took it on. So it was very hard anyway, just taking on a failing business and trying to move the needle. And I'd left the coaching space and and then I kind of, the, the podcast started to die out and the negative internal chatter started to happen. And I wasn't reading as much and I wasn't training half as much because the gyms were all shut and all this other stuff. It became very fucking hard for me to focus on the future. I just got so close to today and tomorrow the wall, that it, yeah. the wall, 100% um I have managed to break out of that obviously um and that came probably toward the tail end of 2020 uh you know have around November time I was having real deep conversations with myself man and and even my mentor Mike Zeller at the time and what am I doing well, like sorry to jump in real quick <laughs> it's a complete segue I met Mike Zeller at um 
uh, Funnel Hackers Live 2018. When you mentioned he's, his name, that name rings a bell. Yeah, yeah he's such a G. That's so dope. Hey, he's uh, got an episode as well. Uh, let me try yeah, and think that's that out. I, saw the name. I can't know that name from somebody. Yeah, <laughs> that's the one. Value there, brother. Just, it jumped into my head. Oh man, it's good. It's good. Let me find that episode real quick because I think that will be a, a, a good one for people to go listen to. So episode 43, Mike Zeller, my mentor came on. Um, but yeah, at the time, it was definitely through like a series of conversations with myself and with other people and my support network um, uh, where I really, and obviously this was the twins as well were pregnant and cook, yeah. they were cook, cooking. So I had all this stuff going on and you know, I found it really hard to focus on the future. Now I've shifted that out the way. I understand why was why that was happening and what I allowed into my life to cause that, because um, yeah. it's all causation. But where where are you going? Before I don't want to talk about me. This is about you. Where are you going? What's the future for you look like over the next you know six months, a year? How far into that have you really looked, and what does that look like, man? Unlimited. Boom. Love that. Simple. Simple. Anytime I have those same human thoughts like everyone else does, COVID shut down, fuck, what's going on? Okay, March last year, fuck, this sucks. We've shut down all our gyms instantly overnight. I've got 65 PTs that are freaking the fuck out. I've got a week, I'm going to give them my attention. Once that's done, they're on their own. Not only on their own, but they're, they're, they're going to do their own thing for now, right? Second week is all about me and my family. Let's get us ready to go. Make sure everything's going good. Then I sat back and I'm a critical thinker, man. So I've got the shirt. Like I sit back and go, right. Worst case, best case, what's going to happen? Uh, I'm also, uh, I say this with a grin on my face, is I'm a rules follower. Now, some rules are meant to be flexed and broken and stretched to the limits, but for the most part, social etiquette, I, I follow the rules. So I'm like, well, I'm not going to go outside the box. I'm going to, no one knew anything. I'm going to pay attention. As the data came in, I got less worried about the world and what's going on around it. I get more entertained by it more than anything. And I sit back and go, my eldest daughter's 21 in November. My youngest daughter turns eight in April. It's a big scare. It's a big gap between the two. And I look and go, the life that I've been able to provide for my 20 year old, my eight year old is only just starting to acknowledge that as part of her development. Yeah. I want a powerful man. I want better again for her and better again for the oldest one. So I can't be wasting my time freaking out about this or wasting my time worrying about that. I take it on board and I acknowledge it. I don't put my head in the sand. I like to be worldly. I like to know what's going on around me but it has very limited actual influence on my trajectory and, the, and that of my family, my business, my career. As I said, unlimited brother. It's, there is no limit while we're, while we're breathing this air. Fucking that's powerful, bro. Thank you for sharing that, man. That's a, uh, I've got another golden nugget. <laughs> um, another diamond. I prefer that word over golden nugget. Whenever I say golden nugget, I just think of McDonald's and I fucking hate McDonald's. Fuck <laughs> McDonald's. There you go. Um, fuck those golden arches um it's all I about diamonds i think of that movie blood diamonds so either way I think <laughs> <laughs> so bro um where can people come find you holler at what you're doing fill us in and then uh and then we'll uh we'll we'll we'll, we'll get moving yeah bro look easiest way if anyone's interested in, in catching up reaching out follow my shit jump on instagram it's the number 51 underscore fit fit easy from there there's link uh, link tree and you can jump on and see what else is about but honestly man connect with me on instagram it's where i spend my time i like engaging back talking shit I share some memes question get your question on yourself get you asking you know what's going on in the world you don't have to believe or, or listen to my side in particular but hopefully you read my shit and go eh, 
I haven't thought of it that way or now I need to think of something that way. So yeah. if you're on IG and you do connect with me, do me a favor and let me know where you came from. Tell us, yeah, you came from the podcast because uh, it's good to know where everyone's at. But also that way, at least I know that you're a legit human. If you've invested this much time to get to this part of the podcast, you're worth having a conversation with. And, um, oh, and absolutely, man. Yeah, I want to say thank you as well, bro, to you for coming on and, and being vulnerable and, and opening up and sharing your wisdom. Um, yo, you're on you're on Clubhouse too, right? Yeah, man, just jumped on. There. Oh, dude, I'm loving Clubhouse, man. I've got a, a room happening tonight. Obviously, it won't really be relevant for anyone because the time would have passed by then. But uh, like yeah, can people ca- here, so. <laughs> can people catch you on uh, Clubhouse as well? If so, uh, send me the, the send me over all your bits, man, and I'll link it all in the show notes, my brother. Yeah, dude, I'm, um, I'm still a rookie at that. I just I just downloaded then a friend jumped in there and he he added me in and i've i've jumped on one or two rooms and, and i get it i like it i just haven't mm. spent a great deal of time on there yet but i can see the value in it for sure absolutely bro i was in a, a, a room speaking yesterday and um one of the other mentors in there was like i mean the amount of value that these fitness coaches were getting was i uh, you, you you'd pay more money somewhere else to listen to yeah. it and it's free you know yeah, so uh yeah highly recommend people get on there uh, and if you do uh, like i said i'll link chris's handle in the show notes along with anything else uh, brother it's been a fucking pleasure i appreciate you and we will see each other very soon i'm sure stay connected Likewise, bro. appreciate it. thanks for having me on peace